0: The United States has the largest incarcerated population in the world. About 10% of those inmates are women, imprisoned in a system designed for men. For seven months, I have been trying to answer the not-so-simple question of how women's health needs are addressed by this system. My name is Meredith Hempel and you're listening to Reproductive Injustice. Approximately 4% of women entering jail and prison in the U.S. are pregnant. According to the 2016-2017 Pregnancy in Prison Statistics Project, that means about 3,000 pregnant people are admitted to prison and 55,000 are admitted to jail each year. Pregnancy is a complicated condition, medically and ethically. It raises a lot of sticky questions in a carceral system that is designed to confine and punish when an inmate is carrying a fetus, which is legally a person, but also legally innocent. Because of the lack of standards and disconnected administration in the U.S. carceral system, medical care, including obstetrics, varies widely in quality and accessibility through jurisdictions. In general, prisons have better and more extensive health care than jails. They also offer more services, so they're more likely to have special programs like prison doulas and parenting classes. As an example of the sometimes stark difference between the care available for pregnant people at the local jail versus in prison, I would like to share with you the story of a woman named Athena. Actually, I would really like Athena to tell the story herself. Unfortunately, my audio recorder failed during our interview, so you will have to hear it from me. Athena was booked into jail in Albany County, New York. Not long after, she began vomiting. The jail clinic told her it might be a virus, but her symptoms worsened to the point that her cellmate started calling for help for her. Athena was taken to the hospital, where it was discovered that she was pregnant. She was taken back to jail, where she was given no prenatal care, and the constant vomiting continued without treatment either. The corrections officers said she was faking it, or that she was harming herself on purpose. She relayed a memory of laying on the floor of her cell, throwing up, as the CO told her, she was trying to kill herself and her baby. Then, Athena was sentenced and transferred to Bedford Hills State Prison. At intake, prison staff were shocked to learn that she was pregnant. As Athena put it, quote, I looked like a totally different person when I got to Bedford Hills. I looked like a skinny stick. End quote. She had lost upwards of 30 pounds while she was in jail. Bedford Hills immediately sent her to the hospital, where this time she was treated for dehydration and diagnosed with hyperemesis gravidarum, an uncommon disorder of pregnancy characterized by severe nausea and vomiting that can be very dangerous if untreated. Fortunately, Athena continued to receive regular treatment for dehydration at Bedford Hills, and despite the harrowing start, she and her baby girl were all right. Just because prisons are usually more attentive to obstetric health concerns than jails doesn't mean they are necessarily meeting all the needs of pregnant and postpartum inmates. Jails and prisons have both come up short. In these two episodes, I'm going to take you through every step of an incarcerated pregnancy to show you the pitfalls, starting with the diagnosis. While some women enter incarceration knowing that they are pregnant, Others, like Athena, only find out once they get there and are under the care of the carceral health system. Some facilities test for pregnancy as a routine part of the intake process, which always includes a medical evaluation. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends that everyone who is able to get pregnant be assessed for pregnancy at intake. However, a 2022 study published in the American Journal of Public Health, found that only 38% of U.S. jails include pregnancy tests in this evaluation. That may mean tens of thousands of missed opportunities for early pregnancy interventions. The population of incarcerated women is known to be at greater risk for pregnancy complications. They are much more likely to have experienced risk factors like poverty, substance abuse, chronic health problems, and poor access to health care than the general population. Starting prenatal care as quickly as possible can lead to better outcomes. For example, a study by Howard et al. found that when women entered prison during their first trimester of pregnancy, the more prison prenatal appointments they had, the higher their infant's birth weights were. According to the World Health Organization, low infant birth weight is associated with neonatal mortality and poor growth and cognitive development. Incarcerated mothers are known to be at greater risk of having babies with low birth weights. A woman can ask for a pregnancy test after intake if she begins to suspect she's pregnant, but inmates can't just go to the clinic and take a test. They have to submit a written request, and if the request is granted, they will be given a time to go to sick call and be seen by a nurse, who might refer them on to a doctor. It is at least a few days between the initial request and going-to-sit call, assuming they succeed on the first try. Delays, even at the initial request, are common. There is no making up for that lost time. You can't hit pause on a pregnancy. Once an inmate's record says she's pregnant, the kind of prenatal care she receives depends in large part upon where she is incarcerated. Some facilities have an obstetrician on staff or even an OBGYN clinic. Some facilities don't even guarantee prenatal vitamins. Most provide some degree of prenatal care, but 10 to 20 percent of pregnant inmates reported not receiving any. One of the most prevalent problems is a lack of appropriate nutrition. The National Commission on Correctional Health Care states that pregnant inmates need an additional 300 calories per day in the second and third trimesters, and a pregnancy diet high in whole grains, calcium, fruits, and vegetables. A survey of 19 women's carceral facilities found that pregnant inmates' nutritional needs were only partly met, and the most common supplemental foods were milk,
1: fruit, peanut butter, and cereal. Dinner is served at 4.30 p.m. at the jail. So as a pregnant woman, you weren't eating from 4.30 p.m. until 7.30 a.m. And the pregnancy snack that existed at the local jail was four saltine crackers. So it was like two little packages of soup crackers and a small little tiny milk like you would get in a school lunch.
0: That's the voice of Sammy Workheiser, an exoneree who gave birth to twins while incarcerated. She now works to help other incarcerated women and mothers... Through her organization, Mothers on the Inside.
1: The snack at the jail is now a banana or an apple, a sandwich, and a milk. So I was able to get that changed. I told the sheriff, like, you're not feeding people enough. I gained only 11 pounds during my my twin pregnancy. And I explained to him, you know, as someone with twins, you're supposed to get 450 extra calories a day and four saltine crackers and a small milk was not cutting it.
0: Another major issue faced by pregnant inmates is shackling. If you're thinking, don't all inmates have to wear shackles? You're mostly correct. Shackles, which include handcuffs, waist chains, and leg irons, are a common part of carceral life used to restrain inmates for a variety of reasons, including to prevent escape during transport. However, Shackles can be dangerous for pregnant inmates, especially as their pregnancies progress and they become more prone to falls. Leg irons may cause them to trip. If their hands are cuffed behind their back, or to another inmate, they can't catch themselves. Waist chains can put pressure on the fetus. Shackles can also impede the process of labor and delivery, and make it difficult for medical professionals to assess and treat their patients. When I was transferred
1: to the second hospital, I was shackled on one side of the bed. And so the doctor was really angry about that. That was like the the county jail made that stipulation because I wasn't able to fully move or or turn over to the other side. And they also broke the law because when I went to take a shower, they had me shackled around my ankles at seven months pregnant. And also I was um, one of my wrists was like shackled to the
0: wall. Many medical and human rights organizations recommend against using shackles on pregnant inmates and only the minimum restraints necessary if they must be used. These organizations include the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, Amnesty International, the National Commission on Correctional Healthcare, the United Nations, and the American Medical Association. In many jurisdictions, Shackling pregnant inmates is actually against the law. The federal prison system, 39 states, and the District of Columbia have banned shackling pregnant inmates, at least during labor and delivery. Some of the anti-shackling laws cover other times in the pregnancy and postpartum period as well. But what's supposed to happen and what actually happens are not always the same thing. A study published at the end of last year found inconsistencies between policy and practice in a survey of 22 prisons and six jails. Several facilities routinely shackled pregnant inmates during transport in violation of their state's anti-shackling laws, and one prison reported shackling inmates immediately after childbirth in violation of their own policy. The typical rationale for shackling pregnant women, sometimes even during labor and delivery, is to prevent escape. Where, or how, anyone thinks a woman in labor is going to go is beyond me. There is always a guard in the hospital with these patients anyway. In the report, not part of my sentence, Violations of the Human Rights of Women in Custody, Amnesty International explains, There is no sound reason for authorities to routinely shackle and handcuff pregnant women or women who have just given birth, and who are under armed guard." End quote. A lot of things can go wrong during a pregnancy, especially a high-risk pregnancy, which many inmates experience. Inmates have to go through corrections staff to see a medical provider. Corrections officers have minimal medical training, usually none in women's health. But they get to decide whether or not to pass on a medical request form or when to call an ambulance for a medical emergency.
1: Some of the research that I did is in the corrections officer in New York State. You know, like 33,000 men are incarcerated in New York and like 3,000 women. So the training on how to handle pregnant women is one half of a back page in the manual. It's like one half. So what, what I learned from talking to other women and just through my own research is that many officers just kind of make up policy on their own because they just haven't dealt with it that much. You know, so they're like, I guess you do this, I guess you do that. You know, there's no, like, real training for how to deal with pregnant women.
0: Untrained correction staff who don't know what to do in the medical crisis or who don't know how to recognize one, may cause delays in receiving care that can have serious consequences. Consider the failure of jail staff to take seriously Athena's potentially life-threatening hyperemesis gravidarum symptoms. Next episode, we'll go into detail about what it's like to give birth as an inmate, as well as the kind of postpartum care that is available. Reproductive Injustice is written, produced, hosted, and edited by Meredith Hempill. Special thanks to Athena and Sammy Workheiser. You can find Sammy's organization, Mothers on the Inside, at their Facebook page. Or you can contact them at mothersontheinside at gmail.com. Equipment and facilities provided by the Media School at Indiana University Bloomington. Thank you for listening.